0: Hey, welcome to the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm your host, Howie Jacobson. My day job is as a coach helping people live better lives. I coach executives and leaders. I coach entrepreneurs and I coach civilians who are looking to improve their lives, their health, their relationships. Basically, it allows me to do what I didn't think was possible, which is to help people completely erase bad habits and different ways of being, erase negative feelings and replace them with positive ones rather than just help people develop new strategies to compete with the old ones or new thought patterns to debate the old thought patterns. And I'm looking for people to work with. And I have reduced my rates a lot so that I can just get as much practice in as I can. So I am going to raise them back up to my normal Fees, But right now, I just need a lot, a lot of practice and feedback, and I have teachers and mentors. So if you're interested in getting my best coaching, better than I've ever done, at a big discount, email me, hj at plantyourself.com. So let's get on with the show. I met today's guest through my friend Michelle Olender, who is the host of the excellent Veg Your Best podcast. She introduced me to Aaron Riley, who is starting a company to create vegan-friendly, organic, all-natural, and really good garden soil, compost, soil amendments, fertilizer. I thought, well, that's fun, but uh, I don't know what we can talk about besides, you know, nitrogen and phosphorus and micro rhizomes. But it turns out that her journey, she's been a, a master gardener and a gardening teacher for many years, and her journey to make this company really began with discovering what's in commercial fertilizers, even the organic ones. And when we started talking, I suddenly had this huge sense of, oh my gosh, this is so obvious and I never thought about it. So I figured I'm probably not the only one. So if you are a gardener or you eat food that's grown in gardens, this might be a really interesting conversation to uh, participate in, enjoy and see what you think. So without further ado, Aaron Riley, welcome to the Plant Yourself podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm blanking on who introduced us, but as soon as I saw what you do, I was like, I want to have this conversation. So uh, what, what do you do?
1: <laughs> well, I think it was Sweet Michelle Olander from um, Veg Your Best who connected ah, us.
0: bingo, right. Nice. I apologize, Michelle, if you're if you're. <laughs>
1: we'll get her in there. And um, yeah, what I do is vegan garden fertilizer. So when I, I have a vegetable gardening business, it's a, it's a landscaping company, but I specialize in edible landscaping. And so I use okay. a lot of garden fertilizer. And as my business expanded, I started ordering it in bulk so I could mix it myself, right? Mostly actually just to save money was the first thought. And then I thought, oh, I could, I could sort of play with the inputs and play with the nutrition values at different times of the year or for different kinds of vegetables. So I kind of really got into like specialty fertilizers and it's all organic, right? So these are all like natural inputs. But some of the natural traditional inputs for garden fertilizer, well not some, almost all are animal byproducts. And I didn't think very much of it, blood meal, bone meal, poultry meal, fish meal. I didn't think too much about it. It's so ingrained in organic gardening. That's what everybody uses. And yeah. over time, just actually like handling these materials, it just made me question where they came from, you know, and how, how would blood meal even be organic? <laughs> just like from the beginning, I didn't understand. And the more I looked, oh, the worse it got.
0: Okay. So this is, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm happy to say that, um, you know, I haven't gardened uh, <laughs> since last summer. And you know, we we moved, we sold our house, we sold our oh, yeah. big three quarter three quarter of an acre garden. Um, but I honestly never thought about it. You know, like I knew that okay, well, you know, Pete's or Daddy Pete or whatever has like, you know, manure. And I figure, you know, we, we were in a rural area, like, you know, yeah, the cows ended up, you know, not in a good place and but the horses were fine. And the chickens pooped, and, and, you know, someone just like walks behind them with a smile and a shovel. And like, honestly, blood meal, bone meal, feather meal, didn't really occur to me as it's like meal, like, like, you know, right. like, like cereal.
1: <laughs> Perfect example. Yes. And the, the language they use is extremely misleading. And you're right. The word meal in and of itself kind of makes it sound wholesome. <laughs>
0: Okay. So, so now, so, so I'm really happy that I'm not in the middle of like having to like go out in the backyard and like look at the carnage that's, that's represented by these, these big bags. Yeah. Um, What did, what did you find out when you, when you looked and at like the origins?
1: So when I was, you know, again, one of the things, I'm like a big organic advocate, you know, a big advocate for organic gardening. And so That was my point of view, I think, at first. Like, how is this organic? Organics should be regulated, which, of course, they are. There's all this certification process. And if you're a gardener, you might be familiar with OMRI, O-M-R-I, and they're a big international organic certifier. And their presence and their um, little, you know, label that you can put on your bag was supposed to mean something, like the highest level of organic integrity. And so when I looked on their website and I saw that like, you know, for example, the bone meal was sourced from foster farms. I was like, I don't understand like foster farms. Like they're one of the worst, I believe mean, they're the biggest chicken producer there is. And the list of problems, you know, the, the bad work environment, the overuse of water, the, um, mm-hmm you know, the neglect and the violence at their slaughterhouses. I don't understand how that's the source of organic bone meal or poultry meal. That just didn't make sense to me. So I just started researching that, and it took me years to understand these connections because they're completely hidden. You know, this if it's supposed to be this organic credentialed thing, I would think being transparent would just go hand in hand with that. But nothing was transparent. You... Organic pet food is like more organic than organic garden fertilizer. You know, it's more regulated. They make sure Hmm. that organic pet food does come from organic meat sources where organic fertilizer that doesn't come from organic birds, doesn't come from organic cows. It doesn't come. It just
0: it just means non-synthetic, like it wasn't produced chemically in in a lab.
1: Yeah. Unfortunately, that's it's
0: organic. Like, it's, it's organic the way organic means something that was once alive.
1: Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. Which is a very broad, a very broad hmm. definition. Right. I think people would assume it means something a little more specific than that.
0: Hmm. So, um... I'm trying to imagine, like, let's say, let's say we stop this interview right here and we have me with, with like all my questions and then the listeners with all their questions and they're like, well, I want to find out what's going, what's going on, even though things are very opaque. Like, could you take us through your um, sleuthing process so that, so that like we could sort of vicariously follow you and not just like take your word for it?
1: (laughs) Yes. So there, one of the, the the linchpins of the whole thing was discovering there's an industry called rendering. And, you know, when they, we, we they might talk about, like, you might think of euthanasia, like if you put an animal down or something like that. But this is, rendering is really just a big sort of cesspool of all kinds of animals in all kinds of states that just gets grinded melted boiled and ground into different products but rendering is the industry in fact they call rendering the quiet industry and Mm. uh, they've been trying to rebrand themselves as recyclers and upcyclers which is just ludicrous you know they they've sort of spin a tale that um, these products from these animals are waste products and so people think oh well that does sound like recycling right that must be like That's how indigenous people did it. You know, they used the
0: the whole buffalo.
1: Yeah. And this is not that, you know, that is obviously cultural appropriation, one. And two, awful amounts of greenwashing because that is not what's happening. This is expired meat. This is downers, which are animals that are alive. I mean, are dead or dying, diseased animals, roadkill, any manner of animal, certainly horses get rendered down into these products. Um, Yeah. So also not traceable, you know, none of that, how would you source or know where any of that came from? They don't, you know, they, in fact, in, in our country, in America, they did this thing where they were supposed to put on meat, what the country of origin was, it was called the cool law, C O O L. And people voted. Yeah. They absolutely wanted to know the country of origin. Like when you picked up your, you know, uh, you picked up your meat and it's on that tray. Now, you know, I hear all the meat is on a tray and plastic wrapped already cut. You know, there's no uh-huh. butchers anymore in grocery stores. There's no little butchers. And, um, so you get this, um, meat and when that meat expires, you know, the shelves are just full of this meat too. Don't you ever wonder you go and you think who buys all this, you know, how's this stuff last? They know, they know that this stuff's going to expire. They have a plan for it later. So it's not like it's waste and they are turning. Oh my gosh, we're just, we have, we're drowning in waste products from feeding people. No, they're growing animals for these byproducts. The rendering industry is actually bigger than the meat industry. Do you know what I mean? Because Yeah. yeah because they can yes, you're,
0: you're saying that if if it was actually just waste if 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 the supermarkets were buying just enough that they knew by the end you know by the end of the day that everything that was going to expire to a, to a very close margin of of error was sold there would be x amount of of product but because of rendering they can be 3 or 4x and it just looks like it's it's waste, but it's planned from the very beginning that this that this stuff and and if it's going to waste it doesn't have to be that high quality, and we can have an industry that that is okay with whatever downer rate i don't know what the rates are of how many animals don't make it to slaughter right um, yeah There's so,
1: what so, I, yeah because the the waste goes like into leather, you know the leather industry is not dependent on just a random amount of waste that comes every year. <laughs> You know, they grow for leather. You know, mm-hmm. they grow for cosmetics. The cosmetic industry is huge. It takes so much animal products. You know, the oils—they press it all down. They make this oil that is almost in almost all cosmetics. You know, that industry is not just waiting around, unsure of what their raw materials are going to be. They know damn well what their raw materials are going to be.
0: Uh-huh. So, oh yeah. no, we, we, there's a, people aren't people aren't going to TGI Fridays as much. We're we're going to have to. <laughs> make yeah. smaller belts. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Gotcha. Okay, so you you found out about rendering and then you traced the bone meal back to this Foster Farms. Um so and you're saying like like organic has these like multiple meanings where if I'm if I'm buying organic meat, if I'm buying organic chicken, yeah. I expect I don't know, that the chicken was was not given antibiotics, right. um, was fed... Those are the laws. Or,
1: yeah, you're right. Those are the laws. No antibiotics. Mm-hmm. There are laws for an organic chicken. Yeah. But there's
0: and, no and law the, and for... That it, and the chicken was fed organic right. grain or whatever. It was, right? Yeah, it
1: should, it should be. Yeah.
0: Okay. But... But the organic fertilizer that comes, like, the, like tell me about the chickens. Like, if I were to eat a chicken from Foster Farms, am I getting antibiotic-free, you know, organic grain-fed chicken?
1: Well, that's the thing. So when I looked into Foster Farms, just their own history, you know, and there's all these banned antibiotics was one of the things found in the bone meal from Foster Farms. Banned antibiotics. Nonetheless, any antibiotic. You know, these are mm. disease-resistant I mean, you know, uh, yeah, you know, bacteria, antibiotic uh, resistant bacteria and uh, and it's passing down through the fertilizer, you know. So, yeah, oh, and I mean, me. the bone meal all just goes together, you know, just because that person's sourcing their bone meal from foster farms. You know, where is all the other bone meal coming from when they now that they butcher in the they'll butcher like in a warehouse? It's like they're processing weed or something, you know, everything. Once you see how they process mm. salad, those lettuce bags, by the way. You would never buy another lettuce bag of lettuce. Um, but these pictures of these giant places and all night, you know, they're just butchering, butchering. Because then the companies, the meat industry, the rendering industry, can keep all the bones. You know, they no longer, it's not going in the trash anymore. You know, women aren't, you know, your grandma's not boiling that down into soup like we used to. So before you even get the meat, they're like, if you don't mind, we're just going to take these byproducts out. So you don't even have to be bothered. But they have a nice mm-hmm. central location now. Gotcha. gotcha. Yeah. And like all and, these. And, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And just, just, um, you know, in case Foster Farms here, sees this interview and wants to sue me, is there, um, you know, documentation about all these claims?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. These are all in periodicals that I read. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. I mean, you know, it's a whole industry. I wouldn't pick on Foster Farms. Uh, the only other thing I would actually pick on Foster Farms about while we're here is because we're talking about like organic, right. And what pisses me off is that, all of the hard work that has gone on for generations to create organic, this idea that you care about larger ecosystems, you care about the environment as you're making your food, that it's thoughtful, all these things they're, they're borrowing all of that co-opting all that goodwill and turning yeah. it into something else. And one of the ways I've found that they do this is through trademarking. So, they trademark words so other people can't use them. And foster farms has trademarked the word organic farm. Well, why would you need to do that? Why? Like you can trademark the word foster farm all day. How you trademark the word organic farm? How did the government give? I'm confused. I'm just confused. It doesn't make sense to me. I had, when I started my company, I was, you know, trying to name it. And I initially named it Stewards. I thought that was kind of a cute plan words, you know, steward in the land. And, and then our mascot was a little cat called Stewie. And, you know, I got the trademark, went through all the rigmarole, you know, had a lawyer, got the trademark. And then I was sued for the trademark because, you know, just cause the government says, hey, we agree with you, you can have this trademark, and you pay for it? If somebody else says, I disagree, I think my trade, she's infringing on my trademark. They can sue you. And so I got this thing. Six lawyers signed to it to say, stop using the word stewards. And it was a pesticide company in Texas. They just trademarked it to take it out of the lexicon. So they own it. Do you know what I mean? They're taking, like, they take the word organic farm out of the lexicon and trademark it. So no one else can claim to have an organic farm. That's That's odd. That seems like overreach Mm. to me.
0: It's, it's, it seems like it's a, um, you know, a good strategy for lawyers to keep, uh, you know, high billables.
1: Yeah, that's true, too. Yeah. So Foster Farms, for some reason, owns the trademark to the word organic farm. And I, as I'm sure you know, you know, I mean, there's no farm at Foster Farms. They're called, you know, they're confined animal feeding operations. C-A-F-O. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, earlier, too, you mentioned, like, manure and... There's a beautiful book called Pastoral Song. James Rebanks is the author. And it's about the change in farming. And this is very recent. This is the last 50 years. You know, I'm sounding alarm because things are changing very quickly in our ecology and how we grow food. And everyone should be very concerned about that, right? So James Rebanks was, like, his family were old-timey farmers in England and... Over in, in the, in the seventies when they came out with synthetic fertilizers, you know, all these chemical fertilizers and just kind of, um, mechanized farming, right? So instead of like a farmer walking behind cattle, for example, pulling a plow and the cattle is pooping right there in the field and the farmer grows the alfalfa himself, he grows his own feed for his own cattle, right? It's mm-hmm. very responsible you can see there's a personal responsibility and connection the whole way through the process. Then they, in the 70s, they decided, screw that. And they wanted to use big tractors, right? The bigger, the better. And so they had to kind of flatten everything. They had to remove all the trees. Uh, You know, in in England, they use like hedgerows. You know, they create these hedgerows. They got rid of all of those because the tractors can't move around. You know, they can't spin around. Stupid hedgerow. So they ended up then... Removing animals from the animal agriculture, right? So now we're doing monocrops, and the animals don't live on farms; they now live in CAFOs, confined. So they're not grazing, right? So they're not eating hay and alfalfa, as I'm sure you know. you know, in the last couple of decades, the meals we're talking about when they render the animals down that becomes fertilizer, but also becomes feedstock, right? It becomes food for other animals. That's how Uh BSE got spread was they fed cows to cows.
0: Meaning cow disease. That's right. So they
1: stopped feeding cows to cows, allegedly. Doesn't mean we're not eating the cows, though. But anyway, the you know, sprinkled on our fertilizer, on our vegetables. So they feed these feeds to animals. So the animals aren't grazing, they're not eating alfalfa and hay, they're eating just these meals. So they no longer poop poop. They don't poop of poop. You know, it's not a road apple, unfortunately. Mm. It's like a toxic, thin stream because their bodies can't process, right? There's nothing to bind it, the poor things. Yeah. That's why now when you see aerial photos of like these big factory farms, there's these lagoons, these pits, right? And they're covered. You see it. You see, the, what are those? I mean, those weren't around when I had a farm. You know, I grew up in a farming community. Nobody had giant pits of this stuff. But now they do because the animals don't make manure anymore. So now they have a whole other problem, what to do with these giant pits that smell terrible, as you might imagine. So one of the things they figured out to do is to cover them with a tarp and they catch the methane and they make that into biofuel, right? Now, again, I think we're making biofuel sound like a great thing when in fact it's not. But anyway, I'm sure it can still power something. (laughs) So they take the methane off, but there's still stuff left at the bottom after the methane's taken off, that is made into fertilizer, organic fertilizer. I'm just confused. What kind of ecology where we're feeding animals to animals over and over again, and you also want that byproduct on our food? Does that sound right?
0: Mm. It, it reminds me of, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the Yes Men. No?
1: I'm a little
0: There are activists, and what what their their shtick was, um, they would try to impersonate organizations and corporations, but tell the truth. Okay. Right. So, so like I think they, they, you might have heard about this one. They pretended to be from um, the, the the the. chemical company, um, Union Carbide, that had that terrible accident in Bhopal, India, and they somehow, they'd created a fake website for Union Carbide, like, you know, spelled something wrong, but the press got on them, and they were on BBC, and they announced that they were going to, you know, billions of dollars of reparations. Union Carbide's stock tanked so badly that they ended up getting bought out by, um, by Dow. Right, so... They the one the thing I'm thinking of is they had given us they were invited to some like the future of food, and they were like these scientists from the World Bank I think or or you know International Monetary Fund and their idea was um, basically making hamburgers from the first from first world poop and serving it to you know and and then that poop would get like you know down the line and, and you know that somebody like the poorest person in the world is eating like you know, a hamburger made of poop that's been recycled seven times. And, you know, the funny thing, like it was, you know, videotape. the funny thing was like a lot of the policy wonks are like trying to figure out like, could that work? Or, and then, you know, just a few people were like, this is outrageous. <laughs> but just like what you're saying is like, we've got these like, I'm picturing like, you know, a hellscape of, of Mars or Venus, like this totally inhospitable piece of land where we have to trap the gases and try to do something useful with them so they don't end up causing like irreparable climate harm. And then the, the shit underneath is what we're going to grow our food in. This is this is pretty awful. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's really awful. I, I'm actually shocked. I was shocked. I kept going down the wormhole I mean, just over and over and over again. I just couldn't believe it. All the stuff I was finding out. Um, yeah. It's, it's it's really, really concerning. And, you know, I always say, you know, I think the only thing, you know, it's just, a, it's a miracle no one's gotten sick yet. You know, like COVID and BSE, you know, we become too infiltrated to the wildness of nature. You know, we are infringing to a degree that we have no concept. You know, they say, of course, the next big flu is going to come from farms. You know, the next COVID will come from a mm-hmm. farm. And they're not farms. Mm-hmm. Let's just see AFOs. You know, yeah. it's it's just well, wrong.
0: Wasn't, I mean, I keep hearing about, you know, recalls of lettuce or spinach. And so I'm thinking, oh, greens. There must be a problem with greens. What's, isn't that the fertilizer that's going on the the so
1: salmonella and the E. coli come directly from the poop. And what's causing that is that at these CFOs or wherever are you know, when the waste leaks into groundwater or streams or lakes, and then that water gets used to rinse vegetables. So that's where that's coming from. The water they're using to clean or irrigate the plants in the fields are downstream, you know, are polluted. Mm -hmm. so you know that's where that comes from or if they're using some kind of manure product you know it it has that on it Mm -hmm. so yeah that comes straight from some kind of contaminated water usually
0: Mm. so what, what i heard you describing in when you're talking about the pastoral song was a a cycle right where everything is connected and what you're describing is this once the cycle is broken then we have two problems, right? We have, we have soil without nutrients and we have waste without containment.
1: Yeah, yeah, or we're catching some terrible disease from our fertilizer or the food. Cause you know, it's not just, I'm, I'm making a product for the home gardener because I, home gardens are my jam and little urban agriculture situations, community gardens, school gardens, that's my jam. And I want to keep those people safe. Um, and I want, and I one of the beauties of home gardens is, you know, we can't have too much of an impact on agriculture. Unfortunately, you and I sitting here, um, but you can't have an impact if you grow at home, right? Your garden at home is that's the whole point. Is you, that control you get to have over it. Well, if you're assuming you're putting something great on it, and it turns out you're just buying into everything else that's happening, that's a big problem for me. So I'm addressing the home gardener with what I'm doing. But on a larger scale, you know, I think we need to to start talking about, um, you know, making demands about what organic labeling and values really are and pressuring the government. You know, when, like I was saying, they, they passed this cool law, the COOL here, and people said, yes, we want to know the country of origin of our meat. We want a sticker on the container. Well, the lobbyists got in there, and the industry people got in there, and they talked to the government. They're like, "We're not going to do it," and they're like, "You don't have to." And I mean, I found mm-hmm. the Congress; it's in, you know, it says right there, them just saying, you know, you made your point, meat industry, it's too expensive to put those labels on it, and you don't have to do it. Well, how do we even know that happened? You know, where are like, I don't know, is this hidden? Is there's no one reading these things? Because there's so many organic advocates out there. I don't know. Maybe they're just getting much better at hiding it, or maybe for some reason I just clicked on the right websites, you know, to, to spread the word, you know, but mm-hmm. if we don't even know the country of origin of the expired meat. How is it organic? You don't even know what country it came from. We have BSE still here in America, like still mad cow disease. And I was reading, you know, they were taught, of course, like the USDA was saying, it's no problem. You know, these people in America who got BSE, Got it because they were in other countries. How do you? I mean, this is unbelievable. So, of course, just blame other countries. So, they said this kid who got BSE spent his childhood in Saudi Arabia and was only in Virginia for a few years, you know? So, obviously, he got it when he was in Saudi Arabia. And one of the fertilizers I found that is certified organic in this country is a horn and hoof meal from Saudi Arabia. I'm so sorry. If we're blaming BSE in this country because this kid lived in Saudi Arabia, why are we importing organic fertilizer mm-hmm. and it's called horn and hoof meal? They're not even hiding it. It's just, right? It's it's bonkers.
0: Yeah. Well, alliteration is good for is good for marketing. So <laughs>
1: That's horn just and hove meal. Yes. In fact, their slogan is "Be the lion." I'm like, no. Oh my god, no.
0: Hmm. <laughs> now, but. You know, you talk about like the um, the health risks, but like home gardeners are not routinely getting sick from their tomatoes and peppers and cucumbers and eggplant and strawberries, are they? Like, what's um, like you know? So I can I can see that there's a huge sort of ethical concern for people who want to be vegan or who don't want to support animal cruelty. But is there, is there actually a health risk? I mean, aren't these, are these products like, you know, boiled or incinerated or fumigated or something to, to make sure that they're not just these, you know, pulsing bags of pathogen.
1: Yeah, they are sterile in that sense. Um, but the um, Sierra club did a test of fertilizer and found uh, forever chemicals you know, in the fertilizer. So it's not like they're testing for those things. And I just think it's, you know, isn't that, wasn't that called like the fourth turning? Remember that? I just feel like we never know. We never saw COVID coming. We never know when we're right around the corner from something, you know? Yeah. It all of a sudden is here and all of us don't know where it came from. I think it's just, the. It's, I would just use the word yet. No one's gotten sick mm-hmm. yet.
0: But I okay. think we're right
1: there. And isn't it every time we recycle these products, we just never know what the marker is going to be when we just keep recycling and recycling. Maybe we're ahead of the curve right now. But, I, you know, I wouldn't want to use it. Just the threat of mad cow alone. It should be enough, I think, mm-hmm. to scare people off of it.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, so, I mean, what, you know, the, the, the synthetic fertilizer industry has trained us that there's only three, three numbers that matter in a fertilizer, right? So it doesn't really matter where it comes from, whether it was synthesized from ammonium nitrate or whether it comes from a badly treated cow that ate its grandmother. There's yeah. still, you know, it's like you know, nitrogen, potassium, the other one, phosphorus. Phosphorus, yeah. Um, like for if your experience, you know, I, I imagine as an organic farmer, you look at soil and nutrients from, from le- not such a reductionist point of view. Can you talk about like, what goes in? What what is what is important to know about what's in fertilizer?
1: I would love to talk about that. So yeah, like you said, the three numbers in the bag, NPK, um, and that's sort of what makes a fertilizer a fertilizer as opposed to compost or soil amendment or something or worm castings. They have the fertilizer has to be guaranteed. So like, as someone making fertilizer, I actually have a license and I am the guarantor of the numbers on that bag. I have the labs to prove it, etc. So that's what those numbers mean. And the big three macronutrients plant needs, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium. And they would add calcium. Calcium is really like the secret fourth ingredient you need. The beauty of, (laughs) pardon me, what would be natural and organic gardening is they do care about the micronutrients. So when you make macronutrients in a lab, you know, you can pull out that nitrogen and you can make it as big or small as you want. You know, you can do whatever you want. It's man-made. And that's why they get big numbers. So synthetic fertilizers, 10, 10, 10, 20, 20, 20, 30, 30, 30. You can never get that number with a natural fertilizer because natural ingredients come in at their own number. You know, I'm a piece of algae from this country and, of uh-huh. a seven. you know, you can't right. make it more or less. And so the bags, those numbers on the bags represent the percentage of that nutrient in the bag because natural products bring their own bulk as well, right? They bring their own weight. Like my nitrogen comes from soybean and it's fluffy as hell. So it weighs almost nothing. My rock uh-huh. phosphate comes from a mineral. It's heavy as hell. Do you know what I mean? They're different natural ingredients and they come with their own stories and ingredients and histories and chemical properties. Yeah.
0: So well, this, we- this sounds exactly like, you know, nutrition. Like if you're trying to, you know, like how, how, much, how much vitamin A is in that red pepper? I don't know where, you know, where did it grow? What part of the tree did it grow on? When was it harvested? Yeah. No, no, there's no way to know. But, you know, if you get a good mix of everything, you're probably fine.
1: Yeah. And like my rock phosphate brings in calcium, and my kelp brings in boron. So when you're using a quality natural ingredient, it automatically has micronutrients in it because it's already a plant or a mineral in and of itself. It's not a single ingredient. That's why the nitrogen can be so high, say, in the synthetic fertilizer because there's no uh-huh. other space to take up. So we're looking more like 432 or 231, but that's okay because all those other micronutrients are very important for the plant. Um, there's actually something called Liebwig's Law, And he was a German guy. He also invented the Boyan cube. And he's like the father of organic fertilizer. But his law said that you can't, you know, plants can't survive on a single ingredient. All, just like us, all of our nutrition has to be at a certain balanced level. If one piece of nutrition is gone, like like you don't have sulfur or something, the whole thing tanks. All the nutrition runs out of the bucket. So all of the little parts of the bucket are all the different nutrition values and they all have to hold in the plant nutrition. So you can't just do a single you know, unit. So that's the problem with fertilizing with chemicals, right? You're basically doing that. You don't know what the boron is. You don't know what sulfur is. You don't know what the molybdenum is. But when you're using organic natural products, all of those things are generally coming along with the product. And then I also add, because we're about the soil, like you said, this regenerative agriculture movement is awesome, right? We found we can store carbon in soil. Right. If we have healthy soil, the microbes will do that for us. Thank you very much. So we add humic acid, fulvic acid, and beneficial mycorrhiza already in the fertilizer. So it's actually really good for the soil as well as the plant. Because that's the thing, right? We're sort of feeding the soil as much as the plant.
0: Hmm. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So, so you yeah. know, a lot of the the regenerative animal agriculture people talk about. You know, I'm a grass farmer. Yeah. Right, like that's that's my main crop, and then every, every everything else has to depend on the the, the quality of the, the health of the grass. Um, yeah. So, you're, you mentioned like mycorrhiza and humic acid. So let's let's dive into those a little bit because I don't think we, you know, we, most people think of think of those things. So basically. basically um, you know in in my world of talking about food we talk we 're talking a lot in the last decade or so about the microbiome right yeah. that you really want this diversity mm-hmm. um, there has been i think in in gardening and in farming this this fear of anything potentially pathogenic like no bugs, no fungus, no bacteria like we want to just you know do everything in like this you know sterile substrate that we have total control, like, you know, I don't know whether hydroponic does that or, or, or other, other forms, but you're talking about like a lot of messy stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, you definitely have the ooh factor, you know, it factor when it comes to gardening, you have to be tough. Um, but yeah, so soil, you know, you don't want your soil to be sterile. I mean, there's only so much nutrition a plant can, there's only so nutritious the, the plant we're going to eat can be, it's informed by the soil you know, and again, like even hydroponics, you know, they have to feed that water, right? In fact, one of my, um the formulas I have is a soluble uh, fertilizer that can be used in hydroponics and because they need to deliver that nutrition as well. And they also want to use organic. You don't want this synthetic carrot, right? No one wants that. So we want soil to be alive. And in general. That is a, a micro and a micro uh, macro uh, situation. So earthworms, for example, being like macro life, and then microbial life being something we can't even see. So mm-hmm. if the soil, if the soil you get in a bag from the store is sterile, thank God. If you opened it, like you said, it would be like a hot mess growing in there. So when you get that sto- that sterile soil home from the store, uh, you need to amend it with compost. And compost is what's alive. That's how we run things. Because I do a lot of new gardens. You know, we got to start somewhere. So you get your potting soil, which is generally dead. And then you're going to add the compost, which is alive. And so the ways in which compost is alive is that when you take the brown material, right, your yard waste or cardboard or whatever you have access to, and then you introduce your green waste, which is your generally your kitchen scraps and maybe, you know, grass, if you have grass. And you mix those two things together. The, the green stuff is called green because it breaks down very quickly, right? Like if you left a, a, a banana peel out on the counter, right? It decomposes very fast. As opposed to a leaf, you could literally make it a decoration in your house. It would choose yeah. to break down over time. So you have something slowly breaking down and something breaks down fast. And those two things come together and it slows down this process and it speeds up that process. And somehow, in a way, I don't quite understand. That's life. That is how life begins, right? With the bacteria and the fungus, like you said, because those are two different operations that start breaking those things down, boom, life is there. And then when you keep adding those scraps, the stuff they break down actually becomes compost. And then, But the life is still there. All that microscopic life is still there. And then I build my compost bins on the ground or you can introduce worms to your compost bin just so you get that extra level worms excrete a bacteria that is great for the soil. And if you have healthy soil, you're going to have healthy plants. That's what it's going to grow in and it's going to come on up. And then my fertilizers give it a boost. So um, those microorganisms uh, really love fulvic acid and humic acid. It creates, again, more of that digestion, which is life. And in fact, you know, the rendering plants, they when they do this in... Rendering. There's also something called anaerobic digesters. It's what they use to recycle our waste, human waste. You know, Mm -hmm. that's something else they're trying to do, right? Is use our waste and make it also into compost we use on our vegetables. I'm not so sure. That's called biosolids, and that's also not good. That also has forever chemicals in it, but they're called anaerobic digesters. And that's what a composter is it's a digester, right? It's digesting all of this stuff, and that's the life in it, which is really actually quite amazing that's all I like, how the life you know who knows where it comes from but somehow in that process it actually creates life and uh, mm. and life in your soil is the, the thing you want
0: yeah so after I read um I think Elaine Ingham's book um Teeming with sure. Microbes um, I started doing compost tea mm-hmm. and, um which was I, I think I just went to the to the woods and got like the the, the so uh, like two shovelfuls of soil that had been least affected by humans. Put it in a big rain barrel, filled it with water, added some sugar. I think it was like molasses and then humic yeah. acid, and then just put a bubbler through it for like two days, and then sprayed it on all the plants. How does that fit in to organic gardening?
1: Yeah, that's the best. I love teas. Um, Liquid fertilizer is so great for plants because it t- it's absorbed so quickly, right? It doesn't have to dissolve in the soil. And that's why I have a soluble version too. So you can just add water to it and boom, you're ready to go. And like you said, the, the good thing about the tea is you're using that bubbler. So the bubbler is sending oxygen to the microbes, you know, because mm. like your compo- your composter can't become too compact you know, you would never like seal it in an air type container. It needs air to breathe and it needs water to drink and you're giving it that. And then you're adding the food, you know, so you're adding some extra sugar for those microbes to grow. And, you know, molasses is great. I love using molasses in my compost teas. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, and that whole water then is teeming with that life. You know, you gave it a huge Mm -hmm. boom, you know, and it's Mm -hmm. just like, it's so great. And then you have to use it quickly. You know, you have to use it within like, Eight hours. I mean, you should use it immediately if possible, because as soon as the the air stops, the microbes start dying.
0: Hmm. But you said like the a lot of the a lot of the compost is formed by anaerobic, which means without oxygen.
1: That's what those things are when they build these man-made digesters.
0: Yeah, they're mm-hmm.
1: anaerobic. I, I don't. You know, that's about as far as my my inner. Workings of the anaerobic digesters, but that's what they're called. They must put them under some kind of pressure or heat.
0: Uh-huh. You know. To well, I do know that-, that. You know, I had a compost pile that I neglected for a while, and it rained a lot. And then, you know, it's like you stick the the pitchfork in, and like an inch is like thirty five pounds of yeah. of glop. And you and you, the minute you lift it up, you smell sort of that sewer stink, which I assume I think is the anaerobic bacteria.
1: Yeah. Yeah, the sulfur gets really going at that point. Yeah, and you get that bad smell. You got to go fix it. I know, I always have to, if we're having huge rains, I like to throw a tarp over my compost, you know, so it doesn't get sodden. Yeah, because like you said, you suffocate it then. You're suffocating the microbes and they're not doing their work. Yeah, mm. we're not doing it in the way we like.
0: Yeah. All right, So, so I'm thinking about all the home gardeners who are, you know, scared out of their minds now listening to you. Yeah. Um, so there's two things they can do, right? One, one is to order from you. And I don't know if you ship nationally, internationally, if it's even, you know, um, environmentally responsible to send, you know, your, your, a bag of your stuff to Boston or, or Charleston. Um, so I'd love to hear about, like, who you serve and then for people for whom that's not um, easy or possible, like what we can do to not maintain our dependence on this, this, horrible, you know, thrice recycled dead, dead animals.
1: Yeah. So we're going to start a Kickstarter 1111 11, and we're going to be doing a crowdfunding campaign uh, to get, cause the licensing is very expensive. And here in the United States, you have to get licensed in every single state individually, and they all have different standards, which is also bizarre. Um, so that's going to help with that. That's eleven, eleven. it's coming up and then, yeah. And then we'll be able to ship where everywhere. Um, I love that you brought up compost tea. I think a way to subvert traditional organic fertilizers is to make teas. Um, you can also make a tea from weeds. You know, you can t- pick a bunch of weeds, soak them in water, you know, put the bubbler in there and you, you can also throw in your fulvic acid, your humic acid, like you said, your molasses, you know, right from the kitchen and you can make an, a weed tea, Comfrey, nettles, yarrow, aloe, all of those things make awesome fertilizers. So, and I, I think anything where people can be self-reliant, again, I mean, that's mm-hmm. what home garden is all about, right, is being self-reliant. It's just kind of part of the whole nature of it. So you can mm-hmm. definitely make your own fertilizers at home.
0: Mm. Now, I've never seen fulvic acid or humic acid at, at Home Depot, I don't think. You no,
1: know, you would have to get those off the internet, yeah.
0: Uh, and fulvic is F-U-L-V-I-C, mm-hmm. and humic is H-U-M-I-C.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and both things those can be added to your composter. They can be added to your soil. Yeah.
0: Right. And then and you of course don't need a lot, you don't need a lot, right? Because they yeah. they're growing things that then reproduce, right? So you've got.
1: Yeah. No, you don't need a lot. No, that's that's great. Yeah, and then the other great thing about natural fertilizers is you never burn the plant. You know, the plant—it's like us taking vitamins. Our body figures out what we need; we just flush what we don't, because mm-hmm. our bodies know how to handle a little B twelve or whatever. But you know, when you do a chemical thing, the body's like, 14, 14, You know, I don't have no idea how to process this, and then you get that burn, and that, and that says, you know, this is chemical fertilizers, and then you get the runoff. You know, that's one of the big problems is because the plants don't know how to use the stuff, it all just runs right off.
0: All right. And, and so it's, it's ki- it kill, killing off ponds and, and mm-hmm. lakes because, right, there's, there's an algal bloom and then the oxygen gets sucked up and the fish all die. And then they fall to the bottom and anaerobically <laughs> decompose.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we shouldn't be farming or gardening in a way that is killing the earth. We're trying to produce things from just counterintuitive.
0: Honestly. Mm, yeah. All right. So let's now let's talk about uh, Cabbage Hill Fertilizer Company, which is your and, and you said 1111 and that's 2023 because I, yeah. you know, this this podcast is has longevity. So uh, people <laughs> may hear this and want to know what year we're talking about. So yeah. tell, t- what, tell us about the, the company where like assume people are going to be listening to this in a couple of months as well. Yeah. like. Yeah. Where, what's the hope about where they can find what you've got and and how to use it?
1: I didn't know I was really gonna be starting a movement. Um I didn't think I'd be doing all this research or speaking on the situation. I really just wanted an alternative fertilizer which I had, I you know, I served my clients with that fertilizer and over time I was like, Well I just have to make sure this is available to everybody, you know. Vegans and vegetarians don't even know their vegetables are grown in animal carcasses, you know, it's so I wanted to make an alternative fertilizer. And then almost immediately I started getting shut down by the state licensing board about my fertilizer. Like immediately, I didn't even say anything. They could just somehow smell the gig goes up. And so they blocked me from being able to license my fertilizer and sell it. Which is crazy. Mm. Like my thing, the Mm. super safe has these six little organic natural inputs, not allowed. So I'm going to have to get legal help. And we thought, you know, let's just start crowdfunding. You know, that's going to be the easiest way. Get the word out and at the same time be able to push this fertilizer now through this government red tape. And, you know, I wanted to be sitting on shelves at every nursery because everyone deserves just an alternative. You know, these hmm. other places are going to keep on running. We know that. But why not just have an animal free alternative just to be safe and to keep pioneering new technologies in the direction of plant-based. You know, we're already talking about that day and night, right, with the climate. Like, we need these climate technologies. Well, and sometimes those technologies don't, like, move into weird new lands. Sometimes they go back to being like, well, let's just look at what we used to do, and let's maybe take a look at, you know, these vegetable inputs, and maybe we can figure out another way instead of rendering and recycling all these animals. Seems like, you know, let's not put technology into there. Let's put the mm-hmm. technology into a plant-based fertilizer. Yeah. So we're gonna do the crowdfunding. Um, it's one month starting 11. And then I hope shortly thereafter, you know, there'll be just a website and we'll absolutely be shipping from the website. We're gonna do subscriber boxes and make it really fun for people. Um, we have this like very uh in- interesting new labeling because you know, um nurseries are kind of snobby places, <laughs> you know, gardening can be like a little persnickety. And Uh I wanted to have a really inclusive company because also during COVID, all these new plant parents came out, right? Like there's a whole new audience for gardening that really isn't being tapped into. And so I thought, let's get these people in and we're gonna get this whole little plant-based movement going. So I'm hoping it's gonna be in shelves, you know, in a year's time.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. A couple of reflections. One is it's very common for regulatory bodies that are tasked with protecting the public to protect the public from the worst and the best.
1: That's so funny. That's true.
0: Um, And what was the second thing? I had another another thing. Um, That's
1: a good one. I never even heard that before.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I've seen this in, you know, with uh, like home inspection, building inspection, like, you know, they, they, the building's not going to fall down on your head. But if you try to build it with cob or have a gray water system, right? The the people who are who are trained to evaluate says, well, that's, you know, that's not up to code. Yeah. All right. So, um, you know, that's always going to be a process of education when you have something that's better than than what the standards are.
1: Yeah. I know there was a point out here where they were telling people, you know, you can't catch your own rainwater, like it belongs to the state. And then mm. during the drought, they're like, catch the rainwater. You're like, oh, which is it? You know? <laughs> Tell us what you want us to do here.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think the second thing, whatever it was, has escaped me, and if it's important, it'll come back. That's right. Um, so um, anything I haven't asked about? that you want to share? Let's
1: see. You know, I think I feel that I did end up using like a lot of animal fertilizer in my business. So, you know, I like to say, I kind of feel like I have blood meal on my hands and Mm -hmm. I, I did a lot of school gardens and to engage kids, I would talk about fertilizer. I mean, it's just part of the whole thing. And I would pretend that it was poop in there just to engage them, right? I'd be like, what do you think's in the fertilizer? And eventually they'd be like, manure, poo, ooh, you know, gross. And I thought, you know, they don't even know what's really in there. And I'm like literally pouring it into kids' hands, you know, because it's physical, right? They're physically gardening. And I thought, you know, I don't really know what I'm doing here. So mm. I felt a real moral responsibility to maybe right or wrong that I have made, yeah, And I, it sort of has kept me fired up for some reason.
0: Yeah. That, that reminds me of a lot of people who have become vegan activists, right? Like none, we, none of us, you know, grew up, very few of us grew up living according to our, our current understanding. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's a, be, you know, it's a beautiful thing to be compassionate with our past selves, which is, allows us to be compassionate with the people who haven't caught up to us yet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, th- I remembered yeah. the other thing I was going to say, which is even you know, for lots of, of vegans who, who kind of like, we understand, plant based people understand that the animals get all of their nutrients from plants, right? That everything kind of comes from the earth and the sun. So that, so that whatever we you know, the animals are the, the, the middlemen, right? And so, like, all the protein is amino acids from the plants and all the vitamins and all that stuff. Everything that we can get from an animal originally, and, and you can argue about whether it's more bioavailable or more concentrated, but there's no question of the origin of all these nutrients. But when it comes to gardening, I think people still have a very hard time thinking that, that all the fertilizer has come from plants too and that we can have green Manures. Right? Yeah. it's just like when I was, you know, I was thinking about um, when I was really kind of like enamored for a while with like poly Fa- Polyface Farm and Joel Salatin and and like really like doing the numbers. And I really, you know, and we had backyard chickens at one point, and I'm like taking all our kitchen compost and feeding the chickens, but I was also going to the feed store and buying big bags of chicken feed which meant that somewhere on this earth was a field that was growing food for my chickens so that I could have better crops. Cause the chicken manure soil was like really, really rich. And if I didn't do that, I wouldn't be able to, I'd have, I could feed maybe one or two chickens with our kitchen scraps. It wouldn't, it wouldn't work out. What I would need to do is like devote 30 to 70% of all my gardening space to crops that were going to then become manure for the crops that I wanted to grow. right? Like, you know, like, like animal, if, if, if you are, if you have the pasture for the animals that are going to make the manure you need for your garden, you're going to, it's going to be like a hundred to one animal space to plant space. And it just, it just doesn't work.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I think we're talking about You know, we can't ignore that it's just a capitalism model, you know, to be in our world, which, you know, in capitalism, you have to expand just to survive. You know, not that you want to like be a billionaire, but if you're not expanding your business, you will not survive. If we take the capitalism out of it and then you work more on a community based situation where, yeah, I can't do this alone but if Frank grows the hay and Martha grows the alfalfa and Tommy grows the goats and Junior grows the carrots, you could do it. Mm-hmm. You could do it. You know, but we just don't have that model in our society, unfortunately. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, we all have to make sacrifices like the rock phosphate I use, the minerals I use in my fertilizer is comes from mining. I mean mm-hmm. – I'm not going to sit here and argue about the benefits of mining, you know, but we're trying to feed ourselves. So it's a very shitty equation where we have that's why it's like imperative that we figure out a sustainable way to do it. Imperative because like you're saying, this constant expansion it just makes us make sacrifices we don't want to make.
0: Yeah. How well, we the logical the logical conclusion is the one the 1% get on spaceships to Mars and you know, (laughs) Bye boy. Good good luck to them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That sounds great. Let's just do that. Yeah. 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 Let's send them all away. You said so many good things. You know, you brought up green manure too, which we didn't talk about with uh, like growing your own fertilizer. You know, the green manure is the cover crop. So you Mm. can grow cover crops like fava beans or any bean, any pea. You use a little inoculant on the seed An inoculant is basically like what mycorrhiza is. Inoculant creates life, you know. Again, I'm I'm not a scientist, so just trust me, it's called inoculant. And it helps grow bacteria on that bean or pea plant. And the bacteria is what is able to help plants fix nitrogen from the air. Because that nitrogen in the air isn't available to our gardens. We're dependent on the nitrogen it's like a liquid nitrogen basically that can survive in the soil but these other plants can pull the nitrogen from the air and bring it down into the soil so if you grow those plants add them to your compost or even just lay them right in your garden bed you know you're 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 basically getting free nitrogen so that's also another way to have your own fertilizer growing at home i love
0: garden yeah, yeah yeah and you know, you can get a bag of inoculant from, I don't know, Johnny Seeds or a dozens yeah. of different places. And yeah. a lot of places will sell the seeds pre inoculated.
1: Yeah, that's true too. Yeah,
0: that's right. So, yeah. yeah, it's, it's it's easier than it's ever been. Yes, it should be. Yeah. Definitely should be. All right, so how how can people, Aaron, how can people stay in touch and follow you and, and get notified when your Kickstarter goes live sure. I did not I d I s I didn't I didn't ask whether there's Kickstarter. Is it Kickstarter? It is Kickstarter, yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah, so, um, How do
0: people follow you?
1: Yeah. Instagram's the best way. Um, I love it. Uh, Cabbage Hill Fertilizer. So, you know, at Cabbage Hill Fertilizer. And of course, you know, we're everywhere. LinkedIn, X, Facebook, YouTube, like all the things. So, but I, I think Instagram's a great way, great place to start. We're on TikTok, all the things. So. All right. Yeah. Well, we're going to make a lot of videos. We're going to bank like 40 videos over the next month. Just deep diving into
0: all these issues. So, wow. Well, you've opened my eyes to a whole bunch of stuff that I feel like I should have been aware of, but wasn't. So, um, and it sounds like you know you had a similar experience. So I, I really appreciate you, you know, taking taking the time to think this through, look it all up, and then most of all, like taking positive action. So that the rest of us, once we're woken up, we don't just have to, you know, engage in hand wringing. There's things we can actually do, whether it's, you know, certainly supporting Cabbage Hill Fertilizer Company, but also thinking about ways that we can make our own communities more food resilient and sustainable. So cool.
1: Yeah. And definitely, you know, just keeping those labels of organic and compost, meaning what we think they mean. You know, there's an integrity there that we really all need to kind of have our eyes on.
0: Mm hmm. Beautiful. Yeah. All right. Riley, yeah. Thank you so much. I really appreciate everything you're doing and everything you're teaching and everything you're, you're standing for. So uh, I, wish you, I wish you all the best. Keep, keep me informed about the, the progress of the, the Kickstarter and when you have a website and when things are, are starting to move and ship. And uh, I'd love to keep spreading the word.
1: Yeah, definitely. I appreciate it. I hope we get to talk again.
0: Absolutely. Thanks a lot. Okay, have a good one. You too. Bye. That's a wrap. Show notes, links at plantyourself.com slash 568. So Movement News, been working out three times a week with Jay, my friend, my uh, new personal trainer down at the beach. And we're doing boxing, which feels cool. We, uh, putting on those gloves and, and moving and uh, when he holds the mitts up, I, uh, I try to hit them and it's really tiring, and because my ankle's still been bothering me and the top of my left foot, it's uh, excellent cardio without a lot of impact, at least for me. <laughs> Jay's getting the brunt of the impact, but I'm sure I'm not hitting very hard, so he's fine. Um, that's about what I've been doing for movement and hoping that it will help me get ready for the... Uh, Tournament next the end of this month in sarasota we shall we shall see in other Spain news. My town is having the fifty sixth annual fantasy horror film festival so you get to watch people uh, walking around dressed as zombies, uh, not just dressed but made up with you know brains spilling out of their heads and the the good old shamble and that's weird and kind of fun and um, of course the other thing that's weighing heavily on my mind these days is the international news, specifically out of the Middle East. And I'm experiencing so many emotions, so many thoughts, and, you know, I don't even want to talk about it. I don't want to bring up sort of political issues and historical context and antecedents, but just just to say that, man, there's a lot of suffering, there's a lot of pain, and it's personal for me. Uh, in, in, in so many ways. And I've been binge-watching a video put out by a friend, Micah Hendler, who's a guest on the podcast. And I don't have off the top of my head which episode, but if you search for Micah, M-I-C-A-H, in, uh, at plantyourself.com, you will find it. Uh, he is the, the founder and director of the Jerusalem Israeli-Palestinian Youth Choir, And friends of his have posted on Facebook a a video, a a three-and-a-half-minute video, uh, of them singing uh, a song. And you see their faces, and you see them working together, and you see the peace and love and cooperation and collaboration and hope. And that's where my head has been going. So I'm going to include that in the show notes for today's episode as well for anybody who needs it the way I've been needing it. So wishing everyone peace and love and compassion and understanding and all good things. Be well, my friends.